and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and today's episode is part four about a book called The Revolutionary Disciple. If you missed parts one through three, you can skip back to episodes 49, 51, and 53 of this current season to listen to those before going any further. Before we jump into the conversation, I've got to remind you that the forum is coming up very quickly. If you want to buy tickets, you can use the promo code podcast, all lowercase, when you go to discipleship.org and receive 50% off your purchase price. And you're going to want to take care of that as soon as you can because the forum is coming up November 4th and 5th. Today's episode, we're going to be hearing from the authors of the book, The Revolutionary Disciple, Chad Harrington and Jim Putman. And just so you know, the book is available for purchase now at therevolutionarydisciple.com. So let's go ahead and dive into their conversation as they unpack the book even further for us. Enjoy. I'm Chad Harrington with Jim Putman, and this is the discipleship.org podcast for those listening and for those watching the discipleship.org collective. And Jim and I wrote a book called The Revolutionary Disciple, Walking Humbly with Jesus in Every Area of Life. It's a discipleship.org resource, and uh, we're honored to partner with discipleship.org. You know, they exist to fan the flames of disciple making in North America and beyond. And one of the messages that we have seen that the church, we believe, Jim and I believe the church needs to hear is this message about humility. And so the book is saying that if you want to be a revolutionary, if you want to be a revolutionary disciple, the missing key for a lot of people is humility. And Dallas Willard does a great job in his posthumously published book called The Allure of Gentleness. And he makes the claim that Jesus was not effective and winsome to convert people in spite of his gentleness, but because of his gentleness. And I think gentleness can be a synonym for humility. And I think that's true with Jesus. And so what we want to do today, this is our fourth of four podcasts, um, is I want to talk about the result of this message about walking in humility. You know, in other words, if this vision that we're casting that comes from scripture about being humble like Jesus were to actually happen in our lives and in the life of churches, what would it look like? What would be the result? And so um, I kind of, I want to start by asking the question, what's at stake for the church and Christians if we are not humble and we remain proud? So Jim, tell us about how that affects discipleship. Well, there's a reason why the the Lord says in multiple places throughout Scripture that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That pride is an abomination to the Lord. Pride kills your relationship with God. He's king. Pride says, I won't trust you. I won't obey you. I won't follow you. You cannot be in relationship with God when pride is, is, is controlling your life. But pride also destroys relationship with others. Um, pride says, uh, I'm judging you rather than I, and I want you to, to, uh, you know, uh, serve me versus I'm lifting you up, not judging you, bearing with you and serving you, Uh, you know, uh, sin is every, every bit of sin is contrary to love. And that the root of love is humility to lay down your life for another. Um, biblical love to, to a grace-filled love is built upon humility. So if, um, uh, you know, God opposes the proud, that, that's different. One of the, in my life, one of the things that I, 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 I desperately ask Lord not to do is to say, all right, Jim, if that's the way you want to go, you go right ahead. Do not give me over to my own stupidity. That's like the worst, Right. Because I won't give in, I won't listen. You know, Romans 1, 18, the wrath of God is revealed because, you know, we, we worship the created things versus the creator, you know, and all that. And he says, so he gave them over. I mean, it, and when God has said, okay, Jim, I've tried everything I can to stop you. And, 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 and to go, okay, fine. But worse than that is when he says, not only am I going to not let you, I'm going to let you go. It says he opposes the proud. 
It's one thing for him to let me go into a broken world with my sin nature. It's another thing for him to get across the line of scrimmage and say, all right, you want to play? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so um, in the discipleship journey, pride is the death of discipleship. It's the death of relationship with God and others. Pride is our nemesis. And the devil himself became proud. Rather than, than worshiping God, he wanted to be worshiped as God. Pride. And, uh, and so this has to be taken very seriously in a culture that promotes it, uh, you know, approves of it, uh, celebrates it. Uh, you know, we've got to say no to it. Right. And we look at, at what happens with people in the world, and we shouldn't be surprised when, apart from Christ, their lives end, you know, in a fiery crash. Because that's really, it's not like God, it's not like scripture says God opposes the proud in Christ. He says God, it says God opposes the proud, period. In other words, everyone who's living their life apart from Christ has a deep-rooted struggle with pride because pride is is a root of so many sins. To our flesh, our flesh is about pride. Right, because in the way that we define pride in the book is essentially it's just the equivalent of being self-focused. So you can be proud by thinking too high of yourself, or you can be b- proud by not talking about yourself, but by still thinking about yourself and how you're not talking about yourself. Even on a poor me, it's self-obsession. Poor right. me, nobody responds to me, nobody likes me, nobody, I, 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 pride. Yeah, but it's a covert kind of pride. Either way, though, God opposes that. And I've really thought a lot about when Jesus the ascended Christ says to Paul in Acts chapter 22, he says, Paul, you've been kicking against the goads, which is hard for you. In his conversion moment, Paul is told by Jesus himself, you've been basically in pride rebelling against me, kicking against the goads. The goads is basically a a tool that's used to herd cattle and it's kind of the sharp prod. And when you kick it, it's worse than getting poked. You're actually, you know, if you're an animal, I guess, if you're a sheep, um, you know, the flesh of your hoof is going to kick the goat and basically you're going to be bleeding. And Jesus says, that's hard for you, isn't it, Paul? And I feel like that's what he says to all of us when we come to Christ. He says, it's been difficult, hasn't it? Been? And then he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my burden is easy, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Man, what good news for those of us, all of us, who have experienced the pain and heartache of doing it on our own and living in pride Christ gives us this alternative path. It's called the journey of discipleship. And between our calling to Christ and our commissioning to make disciples of Christ comes this schoolhouse in which we learn humility by walking with Christ in relationship with him. And he gives us the church to do that. And so it's this beautiful process that leads to life. And so I think what Jim and I are saying is we need to look square in the face at the result of not living in humility, which is pride. And we all know where that ends. We've seen it in others. We need to see it in ourselves. It ends in a fiery crash for individuals, but also for the church. You know, we can still live in pride and be Christians. Now, I don't know how long we can kind of remain in that state. Um, But either way, when we're living out of a posture of pride as, as a collection of people called the church, it's ugly. You know, I always tell people when we're uh, forming a group, you know, uh, and, and we're kind of starting a new small group or, or you know, something at the church, I say the, the, the most important thing is that we love each other. You know, if we're thinking about growth, for example, we need to be a healthy group because no one wants to go to a party that's lame. Like if no one actually is having a good time enjoying themselves, and that's what I feel like a lot of churches do. They're basically sitting there 
moderately disappointed in, in how life is going. And then they're like, but you guys should come in. Yeah, 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 it's great. Yeah. And it's like, people don't want that. In other words, we need to throw great parties, you know, even literally. We need to have a great time in relationship with each other. Otherwise, it truly is lame. I don't think, you know, I don't think it was a mistake that Christ, I also don't know how planned it was, that his first miracle was at a wedding. You know, it was, it was a feast. It was wine. It was fun. His disciples were there, you know. And I love that. So what I want to do is sort of just paint that picture of what is the result of living this life of humility? You know, in other words, what does it look like in a person's life in general? Um, And then extrapolating that, what does it look like in the five spheres of discipleship? And then we'll wrap it up for this four podcast um, series. So Jim, um, you know, I kind of listed some characteristics of what humility looks like and does in a person's life. In other words, when someone is humble, what happens? And one of the things that I thought about was they're approachable. You know, I have not always been approachable in my life. And I've kind of wondered why, like, why don't people like kind of, you know, spill their guts to me and share. They do now more than they used to, but I think it's because of pride in my life. Um, And so when I'm meeting with people, even it's like, you know, they want to talk to me about their struggle or where they're at or their sin or reveal weakness. I make it a point now because I've seen how I can alienate people and not be approachable. I make it a point to confess my sin. And maybe my sin is not the same as their sin. It's parallel or whatever. But as soon as someone starts, or maybe before they start talking about a struggle they have, I make sure and match them. You know, in the book Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about uh, when you confess, you know, even if you confess to someone who's in leadership above you, they need to confess too. Now, what they confess takes discernment, but I think that's where a lot of abuse of authority can come in is where there's, it's just a one-way confession thing. So that's, that's one of the characteristics I've thought about. And one of the fruits of being truly humble is to be approachable. Jim, what about you? Well, again, I, I think obviously abiding in Christ is the root of all of that, right? I, I, again, I think about Isaiah. He comes into the throne room of God as a good Jew, chosen as a prophet, probably going, man, I've been chosen to come into the throne room of God. And once you're there, you find out who God is and you get a good look at yourself. It leads to a, a humility of I First, I am a man of unclean lips. And secondly, I come from a people of unclean lips. All right. And we're picking back up here. Um, We lost our connection halfway through the last recording. So um, Jim and I are back for episode four. All right, Jim. We were just talking about the characteristics of a humble disciple. So in other words, when people actually become humble, um, like Christ, not perfectly, but when we grow in humility, it's like, what happens to our life, Jim? Well, for me, what happens is I rely more on the Lord. I listen more to him. I feel closer to him. I experience his presence in my life and pride helps me rely on myself, takes credit for things that I have no business taking credit for. Uh, you know, judges other people. Uh, and so as you remain in Christ and your identity is in him and you do this for him and it's just less about you. And the more it's not about you, the more it can be about others and about Jesus. And the more winsome you become, you know, the more, you know, the less paranoid that somebody's going to hurt you, uh, you know, the the less untrustworthy you are, you know, because, you know, you're not in it for you. You're in it for them. That makes you more trustworthy. And so it just affects relationship and who you are at every level. I don't have to be afraid to tell you something because my identity is set and Jesus loves me anyway. And, and what can you do to me that God can't uh, restore or, or protect me from? And it just, it changes everything. 
Yeah. What I'm hearing from you is that it makes you strong. I mean, you know, we talk about this in the book, but when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, which is kind of a, a humble thing to do in that culture, it was, it says that he knew where he had come from. He knew where he was going and he knew the power that the father had put under his feet. So he got up and washed the disciples' feet. Um, and I just think what you're talking about is someone who's very secure. And I think that that's why we start our definition of a humble disciple as someone who knows their identity before God. That's huge. I mean, that's crucial because if, if we don't have that strength, then yeah, we're kind of grabbing. It's like, Oh, who can fulfill me or what can fulfill me? But it's really important to know that a humble disciple doesn't think less of themselves, just thinks of themselves less but also when they do think of themselves, it's important to know that we think of ourselves rightly, in other words, in the right place. And then I think I love that that's, you know, it was so cool to realize as we wrote this book that it's a choice to take a step down. So we don't have to like pretend like it's like, oh, you know, let's say you're a pastor at a church or you're the youth minister or you know, you have some job that people see as prestigious or like as on a platform. You don't have to pretend like you're not you. You can actually just be yourself because humility says, oh, yeah, that is my position, but I'm going to take a step down. It's like normally people would expect me to do this, but I, I follow Jesus and Jesus took a step down from his heavenly throne. And so it doesn't really matter what position you have. In fact, the higher up on any kind of organizational chart or whatever, the, the further it is to step down to ground earth. And so the higher up you are, the higher the call is to be humble in a sense, um, because the temptation to kind of act pompous because of your position, I think, just increases. Yeah, well, I think to be humble means to accept Jesus's definition of greatness, which is completely different than the world's definition of greatness. And right. and his definition of greatness is to be a servant. That's not a bad thing. That's not a terrible thing. That's not a thing for only losers. That's that is what it means to be great, to love. And, and it creates love and relationship and trust. And and um, you know pride in the sense of I'm great or pride in the sense of self-protection. I'm going to preserve myself at the expense of others. Um, self-obsession leads to separation and hiding, you know, hiding from God and hiding from one another. It started in the garden that way. Um, leads to shame and guilt. And, you know, it, so it comes back to a, a mature disciple. And again, all of us struggle to, to be that. I mean, we, we talk about this and some of other stuff that I've written is, is um, a, a adult, a child acts like a child and every once in a while they do something mature and you go, wow, that was really cool. But a, a, an adult acts like an adult, but that doesn't mean they're never childish. Because you're a human being, you know, I've, I've actually even said this to my wife, we got into a fight and she, you know, she said, you did this and I go, yeah, but you started it. <laughs> right. And and if you're going to play, you're going to pay. And, is, yeah. and so then at that point, you're like, wow, OK, you know, you're acting like a child, you know, you have a sinful nature. You can it comes out. A child thinks thinks acting like a child is how you're supposed to act. An adult acts like a child, but knows that's not how God defines adulthood. That's not okay. And I need to humble myself to say, I'm sorry, humble myself right. to say I'm wrong and submit to the Lord and go, Lord, I don't want to do this because my sinful nature does it is about me. And, and it's, and it's, it's broken by its very nature. It's, 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 it's contaminated. No, I submit to you, to your authority, to your definition. And I want to do what you asked me to do. Yeah. I'm laughing because I've done that myself too. I'll be like, I'll say something like a little kid would say. <laughs> Well, you know, you started it or whatever. Well, my and wife always goes, did you hear what you just said? <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is because like when it's coming out of your mouth and you're like, this is stupid, but it makes sense. It does make it's like, yes, she did start it. 
and so I think it's hilarious that we do that stuff. But the truth is, we do it for a reason. You know, it 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 it's got a logic to it. But one of the things we found, I I like how one author talked about it. He said, uh, actually, it was Watchman Nee. He said, kind of the the king of the castle, uh, the pride castle, is rationality and logic. You know, it's like, well, this church isn't doing it the right way. They're never going to get their act together. So I'll go do my own thing. It's like, there's truth to that. But it's not like we're just these logical automatons, like, uh, technically, you there's an infraction there. And, you know, it's like you started the argument. <laughs> so, well, yeah, it, it, there's a truth to what you sow, you reap, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like a formula. But in Christ, he's, he reaped what we sowed. Love. Think about that. He, you know, we sinned. He paid the price for it, right? He did the right thing, and we reaped what he sowed. It's a great exchange, right? The whole idea of grace Mm -hmm. is to not give you what you deserve, what you sow, you reap. And again, there physically in the human world, there is what you sow, you reap, right? But. But his whole view is mercy uh, and grace. And as you spend time with him, he's not a formula in the sky. He's a being. Right. Right. Uh, uh, Like we're made in his image. He has feelings. He's grieved. He loves. He gets angry. Now, you know, he acts in the right way. He doesn't have a sin nature. But we're adopting his perspective. The more we follow Jesus, uh, Jesus came to be a light in the dark world to, to guide us. Discipleship is the process of growing in maturity, which by definition is to grow in his perspective, his value system, his way of seeing the world, um, which is about loving God and loving others. Right. And, and so it isn't logical. It's actually illogical. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because what's logical is live for yourself. That mm-hmm. make that makes sense. It's an upside down kingdom. So I think what's amazing is that when we take a step down in Christ, God elevates us. And that's that's the reality of the gospel living through us. Jesus says, come follow me. And that doesn't end at the cross. He's like, I got it from here. You don't need to follow me anymore. Now, in a sense, obviously, he is the only one who can pay for our sins, but he invites us to take up the cross daily, but a lot of people even stop there. But then on the other side of the cross is the resurrection. And then a lot of people stop there and say, you know, he gives us life, but it's not just life eternal. He exalts us and the Father sits us with Christ high above all powers, rulers, and authorities in the heavenly realms. We have this amazingly high position because we stoop down and, you know, and become servants. So I just think as we're talking about, okay, what's the result of becoming more humble like Jesus? It's becoming more exalted in the heavenly realms where it really matters. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at Discipleship.org. It's our Discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today.
So Jim, as we kind of close out the series, this is the last of four episodes we're doing um, on the Disciple Makers podcast and on the collective with discipleship.org. I wanted to just end by telling stories. Uh, if we can hit one in each sphere, just kind of short stories about, okay, what happens when we actually follow Christ with humility in the five spheres of discipleship? So um, I wanted you to kind of briefly tell about how you know, in your wrestling career, you listen to your coach and how that is a metaphor for um, listening to Christ in the abiding in Christ sphere. Um, well, I mean, I have I have so many <laughs> um, stories, but uh, I, I still remember one of the biggest ones. I'm not sure if we did it in this book or a different one, but I remember I was in the semifinals of the national tournament. And um, I was losing three to two. And there's, I don't know how many, like 13 seconds left. And, and the other kid had got a bloody nose. So they stopped the match. We each go to our corners. And, and I'll, um, I'll never forget, uh, Coach said, um, he said, Jimmy, here's what, here's what you're going to do. I've seen you do it a thousand times. This is what you're really good at. He told me exactly what to do. He goes, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to inside tie. You're going to drop immediately do a swing single. You're going to cut across immediately. I mean, just flow right from what we drill a thousand times. I've seen you do it. And you're going to take him down. And the last few seconds are going to tick off. You're going to win 4-3. And I'm like, uh, I am? <laughs> he goes, yeah, that's what, exactly what you're going to do. You're going to do exactly what I'm telling you because you can do it. I've seen you do it. You know? You're, you're fine. You're in good shape. You're good. This is what you're going to do. And I went, okay. Right. I, I, I believed him that I was going to do it. I was going to do it, what he said, but I also believed that I could do it because he said I could. Um, and because of the match and how tired I was and everything else, I kind of lost my sense of who I was and what I could do and what I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. And there was frustration and a lack of wisdom and exhaustion. And, and he just reminded me, this is who you are. This is what we, I, I trained you to do and you're going to do it. And I, and I did exactly what he said and took the kid down and won the match. We ended up winning the national title because of that match by one point. Uh, it was wow. a two points. One of those things. If I lose, we lose, we take second. And it's, be, it was because he, told me who I was. He reminded me who I was and what I could do. And abiding in Christ is to accept not what you think you are or what you think you could do. I could have said, I've tried that a thousand times, or I could have said, I want to do it a different way. I have a different idea, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But to say, no, you're my coach. You're the one who knows. You can see what I can't see. I trust you. You're telling me what I am and what I can do, which I, by that point, I didn't believe I could. Uh, because uh, I'd been stopped. I mean, I wasn't winning. Right. And, you know, abiding in Christ is this concept of, of spending time with him, him reminding you of your identity in Christ, who you are, what you're, you're capable of. And, uh, and, and then just being obedient and doing what he says. Um, uh, that, that's kind of a picture of abiding. Yeah. Listening. And it's coming under his authority, you know, and then I love that story. I think about in the church sphere, sphere two, um, we tell the story in the book uh, where, you know, it's small things too, where, where we're humble in the church context. So one of the, I call it silly. It's almost like just a small thing. Our church asks us to do every week is fill out a prayer and connect card. It's like, it's a little old school probably. Um, but we've done it forever. So you write your name and your prayer request. If you're new, you fill out all your information so we can contact you. Every week they want us to fill that out. So the whole church can pray for you. It's actually an amazing idea to, for everyone to pray for everyone every week. And so I, when my eyes were opened to how pride can lead me to rebel on little things and be like, ah, that's not for me. I'm fine. Or I know that they're asking us to do that, but I don't really feel like it. So I'm not going to do it. They're literally saying, please do this. And when you sit there like, uh, is the service over yet? 
it's actually subtly rebellious. So when I realized this, I started being diligent about it every week. And what's amazing is we uh, we were selling a house last year in 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. So it was like crazy time. And, and on top of that, um, we had a family crisis where um, our, you know, there was a diagnosis for my daughter, Catherine, who ended up being stillborn that year. And then we were under contract to buy a house and that house fell through and we had to back out of the thing. And so we're like, we don't have anywhere to live. Our daughter, you know, in the womb is, is not going to make it. And all this stuff, we were in a terrible place, but every week I was faithful to tell some prayer requests. And I said, we need a place to live because we sold our house, but we don't have a new house. And a guy reading the prayer request texted my mom and said, Hey, I've got a place that he could live because he, because I did it to be faithful. He prayed. And then he was actually the answer to the prayer. And so we found this incredible, perfect fit um, at just the right time. And that's the kind of blessings of humility that we can celebrate as we follow Jesus. I, I think that we could have had a totally different year um, and situation if, if we had not submitted ourselves to uh, that small area. So um, that's really good. Yeah, it's awesome. So um, Jim, if you have a couple more, maybe in the home sphere, the world sphere, you could just hit some highlights and then I'll land the plane in the spiritual realm um, so we can kind of encourage people Hey, this is the result of like real joyful results of following Christ in these areas. Well, again, you know, as we've gone through this, we, we talk about God as the designer of life, the intended life he had for us on planet Earth. And he had a design for every part of our life, how we worked, how we raised kids, how we parented, how we, you know, all of it, what a community looked like. Uh, it was built and he had a plan and our job was to either agree or disagree. Right. And, and our, our job was to choose to submit to his authority, the designer's authority. He knew how he built everything. And the best thing for us is to live according to the design he created us for. And when it comes to the home, you know, I can't tell you how many times um, I have maybe uh, understood the role. I was the spiritual leader and I like that part because of my human definition of, of leader, instead of going, okay, that's true. You're called the spiritual leader, but what does a, what does God's version of leadership look like? What's his attitude? Why, what does he do? Why does he do it? And, you know, using that Ephesians passage to lay your life down for your wife, you know, to, to, to die, not physically. Everybody say, I died for my wife. No, to, die to self daily to be a servant um, in the right direction is, and I can't tell you how many times um, I've experienced uh, a rebuking, a good rebuking. I remember my wife and I, when we were first married uh, for several years there, uh, my family's very loud and uh, you know, you talk over each other and it's just loud and uh, nobody's being mean, but, you know, just waiting and quiet isn't something I was, I grew up with. And my wife's family is super quiet. Don't talk until they're done. Let them finish. Don't talk over each other. Don't get loud. You're very quiet. You listen. And so you put those two families together in, in a marriage and it was rough, you know, and, and, and she kept saying to me, quit yelling at me. And I go, I'm not yelling. I am not yelling. And yes, you are. No, I'm not. And so we go to counseling. And by the way, you know, my, my dad and some guys at the church said, Hey, if you're struggling, why not go to counseling? Well, I'm like, I'm too proud to go to counseling. I'm not going to go to counseling, but I was, I was like, okay, maybe I'll go. Maybe I can get something from it, you know, and I'll submit to that. And I go to the counselor and, and we're arguing there about what's yelling and what, what, what is it yelling? And, and I keep saying, that's how I grew up. That's all I know. And I don't even, you know, I disagree. And I'll never forget what the counselor said. He said, Jim, let me ask you a question. If you know that you're fighting or you're, you're, you're fighting about definitions of words and, and your definition is you're not yelling and her definition 
is that you are, and you're arguing about words because you're right about words, but if it's hurtful to her, is it right or wrong? If you love her like Christ loved the church and it's hurtful to her, whether you're right about whether you're yelling or not, because you grew up that way, are you, are you bound by the way you grew up? By what you did in your home, or 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 you called on to lay down your life for your wife, and and I was so busted. You know, I like the idea. I'm the spiritual leader. I'm going to be in charge, but a leader goes first to do the right thing, even if she's wrong about her definition and it and it hurts her. A leader chooses to do what God says, and he goes first. He doesn't wait for her to say sorry, you know, and, and going going through this whole um, uh, stuff we've done, you know, is just reminded me of all the ways in which my way was given to the world. Maybe even it came from my family, and it wasn't wrong, and it wasn't painful to people in the family, but what does it look like to submit to the Lord's authority and then to care about the people around you enough to lay down your life, even in the little things. Uh, and, right. and so that, that was a huge thing for me in my life. Yeah. And I think the home sphere is super vulnerable. It's like, I was joking with someone the other day. I was like, yeah, you can't escape your family. <laughs> it's like you go home and that's where they are. Um, and so your real self is exposed. And I, 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 that's good. That's the place of, to me, the deepest sanctification. Cause it's like, I can't pretend here you can kind of pretend at church and in the world. And sadly enough, you can kind of pretend with the Lord in a sense. Um, you could put a face on at home, but it just doesn't last long. So um, I love the opportunity we have in family and with family. As we look at the world sphere, um, Jim, I, I remember that story kind of towards the end of the book you told about, hey, as we, as the church, looked to our community and we built this sports complex. So your church did this in Northern Idaho. It was this incredible kind of um, result of you saying, I'm not going to move when my, the elders, you know, that I'm co-elders with don't want to move forward. And then when you waited, the plan actually ended up being bigger than you'd originally thought. And so you guys developed the sports complex that's just serving the community Talk to me a little bit and just share with the listeners a little bit about how awesome that's been and how it it was a eating a piece of humble pie for you a little bit. Yeah, I almost left uh, our church because I, um, I I just felt like they were asking me to manage and and they were asking me they were like, hey, no, we've got to we've got to go deeper and grow up our people more before we start reaching out. And I'm like, well, we can do both. I mean, we're already doing this. When is that going to be enough and of, of getting them deeper, but aren't we supposed to reach lost people too? And, and, uh, you know, it had been several years of not moving forward as I thought about it. And, and so we got into a big kind of heated argument and some stuff happened. Um, and in some ways I was wronged and in some ways I was wrong. But I was getting ready to leave and I went to India. I, about the time this all was coming out, I go to India to meet with a friend of mine, a big ministry leader over there. And I just tell him what's going on. And, and I said, you know, pray for me about, you know, where, what God wants me to do. I think I'm going to leave. And I think I even called your dad prior to that and said uh, to, to Bobby Harrington and said, hey, Bobby, I, I think I'm ready to go. He's like, well, you want to go to Canada? You know, want to plant a church over there? And I was like, well, maybe, you know, and. And uh, uh, so I, anyway, I go and the guy goes, well, let me ask you a question. What form of leadership do you have in the church? And I said, we have a leader, an eldership and I'm, I'm an elder, but I'm under the eldership as a whole. And he, he said, so when it comes to decisions, does the whole eldership make it? Do you make it? And they have to, I mean, what kind of, there's all kinds of different eldership's. So no, we, we try to make those decisions together. And he said, so you're getting ready to leave because they aren't agreeing with you about moving forward. Let me ask a question. Are they asking you to sin? Well, no. They're just disagreeing. Is it a bad thing to go deeper with people? I mean, they're asking you to slow down, not move forward, work on this stuff over here, and they're challenging you on some of the ways you're communicating with them. Is it possible that they're right and you could be wrong? And 
if you believe in joint eldership and everybody else, I say, he goes, is everybody on the same page besides you? And I said, for the most part. And he goes, well, let me give you a book. I, I wrote, I want you to read. And I read the book and it just undid me because it, it asked the question, you know, uh, are you more like the devil or are you more like Jesus in the way you're behaving? The devil is rebellious and proud. Jesus is humble and submissive. And which fruit is coming from you on this subject? And it just undid me. And I was like, wow, okay. So I came back and, and again, some things that happened on both sides that should have never happened. And normally I would have said, never, you don't leave a church, you go work it out. You know, it's the last thing you do. And, and, and I had been thinking about leaving and I, and I told them that, and I, and I had to come back and go, you know what, I'm not leaving. And they didn't want me to leave. And I, 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 I disagree with you guys, but if you guys all agree on this, then I'm going to slow down. I'm going to stop and listen to the wisdom of, of all of it all of you guys. And for on the things that you feel like I'm doing that I need to change, I'm going to try, but it's pretty ingrained in me and it's pretty easy for me to go there. And I, and I don't, I didn't even see it as sin, but if you guys see it as sin, I need to change it. I don't know how I'm going to need your help. And, and so we started working on what we could work on the biblical things, not stuff that we were doing, but being who we were being with each other in relationship and as we started to work on the being and loving and looking past each other's faults, the doing things started to fall into place in a different way, in a bigger way than I had ever thought. And it was just a constant reminder to a person like me who can get out ahead of myself. You know, as a leader, I sometimes have a hard time hearing. You know, I have pretty thick skin. You've got to say things pretty clearly to me. Or it just bounces off. I'm, you know, I... Being is more important than doing. Be, and God will take care of the doing. And he did that. And I have to remind myself of that all the time because my sinful nature is right where I left it. Pride is uh, easy for me to fall into. And it, but it's right. built a strong enough relationship with these guys that, you know, to be honest and transparent with each other and to face each other down. And it's just created such a strong relationship so that now when we have more people and we're doing more stuff, it's built on strong relationships that aren't on the verge of breaking because we're doing so much that we haven't been being and we lost our focus. Man, thanks for sharing that story because it's like, yeah, when we're, I, I think it's you who first said, and I loved it. If you want to go fast, be prepared to go alone. Yeah. So you know, as, as actually, I think I stole that from John Maxwell years ago. Yeah. It's a great leadership principle. I think of it a lot because a lot, if you're, especially if you're really competent at something and you're leading a team who doesn't have as much experience, if you just run hard, you're going to be alone because you're going faster. Right. And, and the ministry will be built around your gifts, which are always incomplete. Right. right. If, 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 the, if, a, if a football team needs all the positions and you go at the speed of the wide receivers, the only one left are the wide receivers, but you can't win without the quarterback, <laughs> the linemen, all those people, right? Yeah. And no one person has the whole picture of God. That's why we need a round yeah. council. And that's where humility says, my part is valid, but it has to fit into all the other parts and we have to do it together. Yeah. And so I want to tie this in because what we're talking about is kind of how the different spheres converge. You know, I, I think that there was incredible results for your community when your church became unified and stayed unified, Jim. But one of the amazing elements is that this fifth sphere, the spiritual realm, is really it encompasses all the others because it's not like the spiritual realm is off in the sky somewhere. The way Paul writes about it in his letter to the Ephesians, the spiritual realms all around us, it's a different dimension. And so he ends the book of Ephesians by talking to the Ephesians about spiritual warfare. And I think it's really important to talk about the dynamics in a story like yours, because, you know, essentially, a lot of times we think about fighting spiritual battles on our own. But I think that we're missing it, if that's all we're thinking in terms of. So in other words, it's not just that we're the body of Christ, and we each have our unique part to play. When we get to the warrior pictured in Ephesians 6, it's not talking about each of us having our own armor. 
it's the collective body of Christ that gets suited up together. And I think this is so important that I want to talk about it a lot. So the background of Ephesians 6 is Isaiah 59, and we go into this in depth in the book, but I just want to read this because a lot of people don't know that. So Isaiah 59 says, the Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him and catch this, his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. So we're seeing the breastplate, the helmet of salvation. That's Paul is directly playing on this image. And so the interesting thing is that it's actually God putting armor on himself to fight the battles. And so it's like, okay, now we are the body of Christ. And so when we suit up, we are functioning together as one, not on our own and some kind of individualist me and Jesus spirituality. And I think that that's huge because it takes the focus off of us and it puts the focus back on God and his kingdom. And so um, what that means for us is that it's not that uh, I can do this on my own. It's you need me to put the helmet of salvation on you. And I need you to help me wrap the belt of truth around my waist. We need each other to suit up to fight strong. And so, um, you know, I think the climax of that passage is really the sword of the spirit, which is the spoken word of God. And we explain kind of what that means in the book, but essentially the output is that we need to hear and speak to one another the truth of God. Um, there's, there's one way that we can take ground in the hearts of Christians. That's actually, if you look at Ephesians as a whole, when Paul talks about, hey, pray for me and pray for all the saints all the time, it's not some sort of add-on to the armor. He's, in, you know, he's making a specific application of what it means to issue the spoken word of God. Uh, but to go even further, what we need is to be built up and the most encouraging thing you can do, the way you can keep people in the fight, on the battlefield, and win spiritual battles, is to speak the truth of God to the people of God on behalf of God. And we don't have to make it up. Sometimes, and often, it's just literally talking about Jesus. It's quoting scripture at the right time in the right way to one another. I have literally seen people brought to tears because I quoted scripture to them and they needed to hear that exact thing. God fights our battles by his spirit through us to keep us in the game and to win battles. And that's part of being humble because it's, it's taking the focus off of ourselves and it's, it's fighting for the team. And it's focused on Christ and not ourselves. And it's letting them fight for you as well, right? Absolutely. You know, I think we talk about this in the book. The the, the most immature person is the person who says, you're on your own and I'm on my own. The next most immature person, which is better than the first, says, I'm going to help you, but I'm going to let you help me. You know, I want to be the giver, right? And I'm going to help you, but I'm okay. The most mature person is one who says, I'm going to help you, and I'm going to let you know me well enough to help me too. I need help. You need help. In the body of Christ, that is how we we put the armor on one another. We encourage one another daily, right? So our hearts are not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. There's a one anotherness that comes from praying together, fighting for one another. Yeah. And I'll be honest. I mean, that's, that's hard. It's hard to encourage one another daily. But man, do I want that? Do I long for that? Man, it's and then when when I realize like I need that, but no one's giving it to me right now. Well, then it says, like you say, Jim, humility goes first. It doesn't point the finger and say, no one's doing their job for me. It says, no, I'm gonna step up. But what's amazing is that when we step up, we are met when we need it. Um and I just love how the Lord works through the body of Christ. 
when I'm weak, others are strong. And when, when they're weak, God makes us strong. So, um, I just wanted to, uh, to say, Jim, thanks for taking time. Um, I've been honored to, to write with you and to talk about this with you. And I just wanted to tell people who are online, check out the book. It's called the revolutionary disciple walking humbly with Jesus in every area of life. And we go into detail, um, share more stories and explain this, you know, essentially a convicting message for us. It was almost like, wait, do we, do we have to write this? Can someone else write it? Cause well, if we have to be good at this, then we have no business doing it. Right. But God's word is true. That's right. We aspire to that. Yeah. And you know, I'm glad he's a God who constantly pours grace in, you know, he doesn't give us yeah. one dose because we leak. Yeah. Right. You know, Pat covers us yeah. and then well, I'm glad he constantly pours it in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just putting this project together has been so humbling because it's like convicting while I'm writing it with you, Jim. And, and so, you know, praise God that we are not the, the revolutionary disciple that's Jesus and mm-hmm. we just follow him. Yeah. And so this is a discipleship.org resource. Um, you can get it at the revolutionary Um, and by the way, I'm really excited about the fact that we have created just a whole suite of resources. So churches can go through a sermon series with discussion questions, with videos, and you can get book order discounts and all that sort of stuff. We just we want to share with the church the way God has changed our lives by showing us our own pride. And I know that sounds, it's like, that's, that's a tough message to hear, but it's so good because on the other side, he says, but come follow me. And so we're just super passionate about this. We think the church needs this right now because we need it right now. And um, we're excited to see how God can really bring life in a dark place because there's, there's not a lot of humility out there. And so as disciples of Jesus, we can become more mature and actually learn humility from Christ. So Jim, anything else, brother? No, it's been great to do this with you and uh, appreciate you. And um, God bless you, buddy. Yep. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Jim Putman is coming to our National Disciple Making Forum. He's going to be one of our featured speakers. Make sure you go to discipleship.org to purchase tickets. And when you do, use the promo code PODCAST, all lowercase, to receive 50% off your purchase price. That's coming up November 4th and 5th. We're just a couple weeks away, and I'm so excited. I can't wait to lead worship for everybody and to hear all the speakers and to see familiar faces again. It's going to be a great time. All right, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode next week. Music